Hey, deserving listeners, it's just me today. I have been getting a lot of emails and messages from people asking me to do an episode on Theon Greyjoy. I have done episodes on Joffrey, I've done an episode on on Ramsay and Cersei and the Hound. The one on the Hound is for patrons only, so become a patron, you can hear that one. And people have been bugging me for, I don't know, a couple years now, asking me to do Theon, because his character is just so darn interesting. I think a lot of people identify with Theon. By the way, this is all from the Game of Thrones or the book series, A Song of Ice and Fire. If if you didn't know that, then you are not going to be interested in this podcast episode, is my guess. But anyway, I, th- I think a lot of people identify with Theon Greyjoy. He's particularly the TV version, because in the book, he comes across... It's, it's hard to identify with Theon in the books, but in the TV show, they make it easier. You know, he's made mistakes. It's like some sort of Game of Thrones version of Curb Your Enthusiasm or something. <laughs> you know, you could just imagine Theon with that music in the background. Bum, 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 you know, that Curb Your Enthusiasm soundtrack and just seeing Theon make all these mistakes. And then later on, he's just trying to be a good guy. He's just, he's just an insecure guy with, with faults and he's, he's, he's trying. And I think that in a certain way, I think for a lot of us, we can identify with, with that feeling, that feeling that we're trying and then we make mistakes or, we lose our temper or we make a bad joke or we put our, you know, our foot in our mouth or we're insecure and we lash out or we're, we're, we're immature and we're trying to act cool. And then, uh, and then we suffer a great deal uh, because of that. And then in the end, we just look back and think, you know, we just smack our head and say, I can't, you know, we face palm and we just say, I can't believe I did all those things. And I think in the Game of Thrones universe, Theon is, is a character that really exemplifies that feeling for a lot of us. He has undoubtedly suffered more than any other character in this story. I'm trying to think of another character who suffered more. I mean, certainly people have died and been tortured and been through a lot of stuff, but but Theon has just, he's like, you know, since the beginning of, of his story, he's just been suffering. And so I think that that, that is, makes him a very unique character. Also in the TV show, Alfie Allen, the guy who plays uh, Theon, he's the perfect actor because he's awesome at, at playing both a super arrogant person who is insecure deep down and he's also uh, awesome at playing a super pathetic person when he's reek and when he's depressed and sad so the full range of Alfie Allen's uh, acting really comes through and I think makes Theon a much more sympathetic character again particularly because of the way they write for the character in the TV show and I'll get more into the differences between the book and the TV show in a bit but first Let's introduce the podcast. This is the Psychology in Seattle podcast. I am your host, Dr. Kirk Honda. I'm a therapist, and I'm also a professor. Before moving forward, I just want to say, become a patron of the podcast. 
when you become a patron at patreon.com, go to patreon.com. When you become a patron, you get access to hundreds of premium episodes in which we do deep dives on various different topics. All right, so before moving forward, I just want to say that I'm recording this in uh, mid-2017, which is just before season seven of the TV show and before book six has been published. So keep that in mind. So every, I, I don't know anything. If you're listening to this in 2030 or something, there's going to be stuff that I don't know about yet because I'm in, in the good old days in 2017 when Donald Trump was president and all that kind of stuff. Also, I'm going to spoil the entire story up until season six and books or season seven and book six. So keep that in mind, too. But I'm guessing if you're listening to this, you're all caught up. Just a little bit about the actor, Alfie Allen, born in London, 1986, which would make him about 30 years right now. I didn't realize this until looking this up just now, but he's the older sister of singer Lily Allen, which is interesting. And he's the third cousin of singer Sam Smith, which is also interesting. Okay, so Theon Greyjoy. He's one of the narrators of the books. If if you haven't read the books, each book is narrated by a different character. So it'll say something like, you know, the title of the tra- of the chapter will be Arya, and then that whole chapter will be told from Arya's point of view. Well, Theon is one of those people. So there'll be chapters that'll just have Theon, and then we go into Theon's point of view. And so a lot of characters we only hear about through these other people's point of view. Like, pretty sure Ramsay never has his own chapters. And so we hear a lot about Ramsay through Theon. So uh, I, I believe that Theon is uh, the, the primary person of uh, the narrator of 13 chapters. I don't know if narrator is the right term because it's sort of like a third person I'm not a literary person, but I hope you get my point. Anyway, 13 chapters of all the books involve Theon as the quote-unquote narrator. He has a number of different aliases that I just want to get out of the get out front here. Prince of Fools, Theon Turncloak, that's the main alias nickname that he earned after betraying the Starks. The Squid Prince because their coat of arms, their symbol is a squid. And so he, and since he's the prince of, of Pike, he's the squid prince. He was also known as Reek for a while. He was more formally known as the rightful lord of the Iron Islands. He was also nicknamed Theon Kinslayer because he killed his kin, um, you know, the Starks being sort of his kin and the Prince of Stink, (laughs) the Prince of Stink. Okay. Other titles, official titles that he's had are captain of the sea bitch. He there's a, there's a boat called sea bitch and he was captain of it. He was Lord of Lord of Winterfell for a time and Prince of Winterfell. Okay, history. So let's start from the beginning. This is all before the books begin. Uh, It's not sure when he was born. They don't tell the exact year. They just give uh, like, you know, 10 years ago, blah, blah. 
Um, so he was either born in 278 AC or 279. And he was born in, at Pike. Theon was apparently named uh, potentially after Theon Stark, who was an old king in the north back in the day. And I believe Theon is not a common name in the Game of Thrones universe. And so it's possible that he was actually named after one of the early kings in the north, Theon Stark, which is an interesting twist right from the beginning. If you think about if George Martin was was thinking that far in advance, which he probably was because he always thinks that far in advance. So going back into the early childhood for Theon, whenever I do these deep dives into these characters for Game of Thrones, I, I always want to know about the early childhood because early childhood development plays a large part in one's adult personality. So what do we know about Theon's childhood? Well, the fact is we actually don't know much about his early childhood. When I did episodes on Joffrey and Cersei and Ramsay and even the Hound, there's more data in the books regarding their early childhoods, which helps us to understand how their personalities developed. For Theon, we just don't know much about his early childhood. But we can assume that his parents were not ideal. Uh, you know, as an adult, Balon Greyjoy, his father, the Lord of, of Pike, was an asshole, right? We just know of him. He's not, he's, you know, he's, a, he's not a nice guy. I mean, at the very least, he's not warm, right? Um, but what about Theon's mother? Well, we don't know much about his mother, Alanis. Uh, Alanis, like Alanis Morissette. Later in life, Alanis would become mentally ill and very sickly. Um, she, I uh, can't remember the exact quotes, but, she, you know, she's locked in it or she isolates herself in a tower or something and is ranting and raving or she because her two sons are, are killed during Greyjoy, Greyjoy's rebellion which is later but later in life Alanis uh, during the time of the books she's referred to as basically mentally ill because her sons were killed and and uh, this sort of thing so if we're to imagine that this was a real situation uh, clinically speaking, we could imagine that Alanis probably had precursors to either severe depression or schizophrenia, some sort of psychotic disorder early in life, which would have affected the way she parented all of her kill children, including, including Theon. So, but again, we don't know, but given Theon's personality particularly in the books, we could surmise that his early childhood was not ideal. Um, it's even possible that he, like many of the aristocratic youth, he was probably raised by um, wet nurses and slaves and this sort of thing, uh, or servants, I should say. And this doesn't always lend itself to proper attachment development as a young child because if your servants are not always permanent, you know, these attachment figures can kind of come and go from your life. And so um, Theon has evidence in his adult life and there's, you know, clues that his early childhood attachment was not, was not great. 
We do know, however, that Theon was routinely beat by his older brothers, Roderick and Meryn. And so this is the beginning. So this this bit, bit of data we can really dig down on for a second here. So he's the youngest... Uh, son, there's three sons. He has a he has a sister, Asha, as well. In the show, they call her Yara. But he he's he's the youngest of three boys. Uh, the Ironborn or the the Greyjoys, you know, people from the Iron Islands. They're very tough, and they value toughness and they hate weakness. And they, you know, think of them like if you're into Star Trek, they're like Klingons. They uh, in some ways, it's just like they're always fighting, and if you can't keep up, then you know that them's the breaks. You're just going to be squished. And so, he, being the smaller of the three brothers, was was frequently being squished. And also, we can imagine that it's not a routine thing, at least for families to just allow beatings of younger boys. It's just, I imagine that's just not exactly like always typical to the Ironborn. So we can imagine that Roderick and Marin were beating his young, their younger brother Theon partially because they might've been competing for their father's approval or attention from the mother or something. A lot of times in families, when you have children who are beating up on each other, it's the result of various different, uh, mistreatment or neglect that the older kids are going through. You know, if, if you are properly loved, properly attached, you know, well enough attached and given enough attention, then you don't have the urge to beat your younger siblings. Or I should say you probably have the urge because I think everyone has the urge to beat their younger siblings, but you also have enough empathy and compassion and love so that you will show restraint when you do have that urge. Apparently, Theon's older brothers did not have that restraint and routinely beat him. So you can imagine Theon, little Theon, age five, just being tormented by his older brothers and how terrible that would have felt. And and then we can imagine his mother having the precursors of major depression or psychosis. And then we can imagine... Uh, Balon Greyjoy, Theon's father, just, you know, saying, well, Theon, you got to suck it up, you know, and just how emasculating and how humiliating, how terrifying that must have been for Theon and, and how he would be left on his own to develop his own defense mechanisms, which I'll get into in a second. Okay, so skipping forward to when Theon is 10 years old. This is when Greyjoy's rebellion happens. Basically, in Greyjoy's rebellion, Balon Greyjoy, Theon's father, he tries to secede from the the Iron Throne. So the Iron Throne is in King's Landing, right? So at the time, uh, Baratheon, Robert Baratheon, was was king, right? And Eddard Stark was Warden of the North. So this, so when when Theon was ten, this is about nine years before the beginning of the books. Balon Greyjoy just randomly decides he wants to secede from the Seven Kingdoms and wants independence. And so Balon, uh, you know, says, "I'm king now, and and uh, we're no longer part of the Seven Kingdoms." And he wanted independence. And 
uh, part of this is because they used to actually be free. The seven, the reason why they call them the seven kingdoms is because they were actually in the past, seven different kingdoms. And, and the iron islands used to be free and independent until 300 years ago when, uh, Aegon, the first Aegon Targaryen 300 years ago, he conquered most of Westeros except for Dorne, by the way. And Aegon with his two sisters who were riding on large dragons, by the way, um, they, uh, Aegon the first Aegon Targaryen, he, uh, you know, went around Westeros to subdue all the other kingdoms, including the Iron Islands. Incidentally, uh, during Aegon's conquest, uh, 300 years before the book start, um, Harrenhal, if you remember Harrenhal from when Arya is there with Valar Margolis and all that kind of stuff. The reason why it was in ruins is because the dragons breathed fire from above that burned Harrenhal to the ground. And the swords of the dead from Harrenhal were melted into the Iron Throne. So everything's kind of connected in that way in this in this uh, book, which I, which I think is pretty cool. But anyway, the Greyjoys were, or the, the, er, the early king of, of the Iron Islands was crushed by Aegon during this time, as was the king of the north and um, other kings of, of, the, um, of the various different kingdoms. And uh, Balon and the Greyjoys and the Ironborn never really forgot that. So it was 300 years basically with them feeling as though they're being subdued. You know, think of it like you're the Confederacy of the United States. You know, there's there's definite feelings. And, and it's only been 150 years or something since the Civil War. And the Confederate, there are still people that, you know, like to have the Confederate flag. I was just in Seattle, in Ballard of all places, actually. And I was down by the various boats that are in, you know, the, what do you call it? <laughs> I'm from Seattle, I should know, but there's boats uh, all docked. What do you call it? We're in a bunch of boats. Anyway, a mooring area. Well, people have various flags flying from their masts and one of the flags was a confederate flag and i'm just thinking really and i had um i had a couple beers and i had aspirations of breaking into the uh, boat area and tearing down that flag but when you look around at all the different flags on the masts most of them were seattle you know like there's a few gay flags the rainbow flag and there's other kinds of flags so i don't know I guess if you want to fly a Confederate flag like an asshole, then great. But so, you know, that's 150 years ago and people are still upset about that. And there have been times when people in the South have, have said that they would like to um, uh, finish the job and really uh, defeat the North and all this kind of stuff. And so similar to that, uh, the Ironborn on the Iron Islands are like, it's been 300 years, we want to be free, and so they try to break free. And this is when Theon was 10 years old, and Balon Greyjoy is like, we're going we're gonna to break free, and me and my two sons, Roderick and Marin, are going to uh, you know, defeat our enemies, and, and we're going to establish independence. And it kind of makes sense, because there, there are these islands, one, which are easy to, to defend, right? And the Ironborn 
are the are the navy of Westeros. They're they're the ones who have the ships and are the fastest at making ships and the best sailors and the best you know, battle people at, at at sea. And so it makes sense that if they wanted their independence, that it wouldn't be that hard for them, right? Because they could defeat all the other navies and just sort of sit on their iron islands and, and be cool. But Robert, King Robert, was not going to have that shit. And so King Robert and Eddard Stark uh, went to uh, put down Greyjoy's rebellion. And incidentally, Lord Jorah Mormont, you know, Jorah, um, was also there with Robert and Eddard. This is back when Jorah was uh, still in good graces with King Robert. Uh, this is before Jorah fled Westeros to escape execution for slave trading, which eventually led him to Daenerys. Uh, but anyway, <clears throat> so Jorah, Robert, Eddard uh, uh, put down Greyjoy's rebellion and they kill, uh, I don't know if they personally killed, but their force killed Theon's older brothers. And this made Theon the heir to House Greyjoy and the heir to the to Lord of the Iron Islands, which was interesting. Suddenly, Theon is like, whoa, I'm now heir to heir to the house of Greyjoy. Well, so Eddard and Robert uh, put down Balon's rebellion. And instead of killing Balon, they leave Balon in power. And they say, uh, if you ever do this again, we will kill you. And we're going to take your only heir, Theon Greyjoy. We're going to take him. And Eddard is going to have is going to keep him as a ward, which is basically kind of like a hostage. And Balon, if you if you get out of line, you know what's going to happen to your only son. And so this was a common tactic back in the day, right? And it makes sense, right? Because if you kill Balon, maybe some other Ironborn will rise up and uh, and out of resentment and attack the north again. So it's like, show mercy to Balon, which Balon is happy to receive. And <clears throat> and at the same time, take one of Balon's son, sons, and <clears throat> or his only son, and treat him well, right? So you're treating Theon well by raising him and teaching him and, and not torturing him. So Balon's happy about that. And you know, just always know if you get out of line, then your son is, is dead. So, it, you know, it's a good tactic to kind of keep the peace, I guess. It's, it's similar to marrying between two different warring houses, right? So Theon is, you know, he's, he's, he's grown, he grows, he, he, he's a child in House Greyjoy being raised probably poorly and being beat by his two older brothers. And then there's this massive war and he is taken hostage at the age of nine or ten by Eddard Stark. And he's raised in Winterfell for nine years. So imagine this. You're a young boy. Your, your uh, father decides to go to war. And in the end, your home is invaded by the enemy. You know, not just like any, it's like the enemy is coming. Just think about how terrifying that would have been. And your older brothers fly into battle and are killed by the enemy, Eddard Stark. Your father is humiliated by bending the knee. Your mother starts to go crazy 
because of all this stress and the older brothers being killed. And then you're basically kidnapped by the enemy and forced to live with these people who hate you and despise you. You're isolated, you're afraid, you might be desperate for security, and you feel powerless. You're this young boy, and you're just ripped away from your father, and it's just a, just just think about this psychological toll that would have on a 10-year-old, especially to a 10-year-old, right? Because if you're older, you might be able to handle the stress, but at 10, people need... 10-year-olds need their parents. 10-year-olds are really desperate for their uh, sec- the security from their parents. Well, whenever I hear about families contemplating sending their 10-year-olds or even 12-year-olds to boarding school, I just think you do not understand how people develop. <laughs> and that is going to do, unless you're a bad parent, which by all means, send them away. But if you're you know remotely good as a parent, a 10-year-old boy, a 12-year-old boy, they need their parents. They need their parents' love. They need their parents' attention. They need their parents' security. And even though 10-year-old boys can act like they're super independent, they're not. It's just not, it's just not natural. And, and people will say stuff like, well, back in the old days, uh, you know, 10-year-olds were treated like adults. Yes, Uh, 10-year-olds often were treated like adults, meaning that they were given responsibilities, but they weren't sent away. That's that's the difference here, is that uh, before industrialization, and really even before there was enough wealth for boarding schools, I suppose, children, even though they were uh, put to work, most people were farmers. So, you know, if if you were five, you were put to work on the farm, but you didn't leave the farm. You stayed on the farm. Maybe when you're 15 and, you know, especially if you're a girl and you're married off, then you might move to the, to the farm next door or the farm across town or something. But, but you're not just going to be completely abandoned to some other, you know, situation. So it's unnatural to send kids away. And Theon was sent away and he's, uh, to the enemy. He's a prisoner, a hostage of the enemy ripped away from everything that he knows and and ripped away from the little bit of security that he had found. So Theon was raised with the Stark children, and there's so many of them, right? Um, and he's tutored by Maester Lewin, and he's also tutored by, I think what I think he's called the Master of Arms, not sure, but the, the head fighter guy, <laughs> Sir Roderick Cassell. And he thought of Rob as a close friend. Uh, Rob, you know, Rob Stark, who later became King of, King of the North, was younger. So John Snow was the oldest of the of the Stark children, even though he's not a Stark kid; he's a child. But I, I believe Theon was oldest, and then he had John John Snow, and then he had Rob, and then he had Sansa and. It was Bran next, and then Arya, and then Rickard, something like that. Anyway, so Rob was younger, and Theon considered Rob to be a close friend, and considered him to be, you know, eventually considered him to be like a brother. He also, Theon, also started to see Eddard Stark as a father. You know, 
uh, Edard was a good father. He was distant, but he was a, a consistent father. Edard, they talk about this in the book, Edard only spanked Theon once after Theon had uh, was playing you know, as a as a young as a you know twelve year old kid or something and bumped into old Nan and knocked her to the floor and Edard took Theon aside and spanked him and Theon actually thinks back at this time as actually uh, fondly not that he liked being spanked but he was just like compared to the shit I went through on a daily basis. At Pike, it was, you know, it was just like, oh, this is like normal parenting, it, you know, so he appreciated Eddard as a, as a father in some ways. Theon fantasized that Eddard would marry him to Sansa and claim him to, as a son. You know, young Theon, 11, 12, 13, is like, oh, maybe, maybe Eddard will find me worthy to marry his, his oldest daughter. And then I will be able to call Eddard truly as a father. But in his older years, but looking back, Theon would uh, chastise himself or sort of laugh at himself and think how naive and stupid he was to think that Eddard would ever marry him to Sansa, you know. Um. So, uh, yeah, so Theon really looked up to Eddard. He, in his, in his teenage years, really began to bond with the Starks. And just think about how different those households would have been, right? At Pike, you have Balon and what a, what a guy he is. And then you have Alanis, his mother, you know, who we don't know, but probably had issues. And then you have his older brothers who are beating him all the time. And then instantly, you know, this war happens, you're invaded and you get taken away, kidnapped and you're terrified and you're like, Oh, this isn't so bad. Winterfell. It's kind of a nice place to live. Uh, these people are pretty cool. So, uh, but Theon, you know, had, had really complicated feelings, right? Um, because he occasionally reminded himself that Eddard was the one who invaded Pike. So this is all internally for Theon in the books. Um, and he, I don't know if it was explicit. I can't remember if it was explicitly discussed, but Theon would occasionally remember, wait a second, Eddard was the guy who invaded my land and killed my brothers and humiliated my father. So should I really look up to this guy? So Theon was in a very difficult, strange position regarding his loyalties and regarding his attachment figures. You know, he, uh, he was attached early in life to his own family, but his family was terrible to him. I mean, at least we have evidence his brothers were terrible, but in all likelihood, his whole family was terrible to him. And so he loves them, but they're terrible to him. And then he comes to live with the Starks and he loves the Starks. But they are, they are his, you know, they, they're imprisoning him and they killed, you know, half of his family. So everyone he's attached to has a very, uh, I don't know, a very damaging role in his life. There's not a single person. We don't know about Alanis. Maybe Alanis was great, but there's not a single person that we know of that Theon was attached to in his life that didn't play a major role in damaging his life. So just think about that. 
Also, not only his attachment and his loyalties, not only are his, his attachment and loyalties getting all uh, confused, but his morality is also being pulled in two completely opposite directions. The Ironborn and Pike, they take pride in attacking and stealing from others. This is what they call paying the iron price, right? Uh, they, they're like Vikings, they will, you know, they like to raid uh, innocent towns, take what they want, and that's what they consider to be, uh, you know, best in life. What is Conan? What is best in life? And to the Ironborn, they would say, to you know, ride, you know, to sail in your boat, to uh, come upon a hapless village, to kill all the men, take everything and they have, and to take the, the women and the daughters as salt wives. They called them salt wives, which is, I'm not exactly sure what a salt wife is, but I'm, I'm pretty sure it's like, um, like a slave wife in some ways. Anyway, so that, that's the ironborn and their morality. But Ned Stark has this completely opposite morality, right? He has this classic sense of honor of anyone in the book, Eddard Stark was the most truthful, the most honorable. He was uh, the most faithful to his family. Spoiler alert, right? Because I'm going to spoil the entire thing up until 2017. But the one thing that Eddard did that was dishonorable was to have sex uh, with with a random person and, and have Jon Snow as a bastard son. But then we learn that Jon Snow is not Eddard Stark's bastard son, that Jon Snow is someone else's son. So the one thing that Eddard did that he was ashamed of, he never actually did. So so Ned is this super honorable guy, super truthful. When, when Eddard figures out that Joffrey, Tommen, and, um, and uh, man, what's the girl's name? <laughs> Uh, oh boy. Um, anyway, the three kids from, uh, the three, um, the three Cersei kids, they are not actually Robert's kids. This, when, when Eddard figures this out, instead of running straight to the king or rounding up, uh, Cersei and rounding up the kids, he goes to Cersei and tells her, look, I, I'm about to tell the king the truth. You know, I'm about to tell the king that your kids are actually not his kids and that they're actually, they're actually Jamie's kids. And so I'm going to give you a chance to get your kids together and and get out of town because, you know, once Robert finds out, he's going to kill you and he's probably going to kill your kids. And I can't can't have that on my conscience. And so I'm telling you this to save your life. And this is what got Eddard locked up. If he had just gone straight to Robert, uh, like a normal person, <laughs> but because Edhard is so honorable and so good and so caring about human life, he uh, shot himself in the foot. Well, imagine how different of a morality uh, Theon is experiencing now. Uh, we have hit the Ironborn who take from the weak, and we have Edhard who who tries to protect the weak. Um, you know, f- for his people, it, it's, it's immoral to not steal from other people. You know, if, if you don't invade an innocent village and take things from them, then there's something wrong with you. You know, these, these weak people deserve 
to have things taken from them. But for Ned Stark, it's the opposite. For him, it's immoral to take from the weak because they are weak. In fact, it's your job to protect the weak. You might even put your life on the line to protect the weak. It's just a completely different morality. And this would have a very disorienting effect on Theon as Theon was developing his own morality, which we can see in the story that Theon has a very weird sense of morality. Okay, so uh, that brings us up to the beginning. Uh, Oh, and the last little bit here is uh, they talk about Theon as having a lot of sexual partners. He has sex with a lot of women, (laughs) sex workers, but also just uh, random women. So that's... All right, so so that brings us to the beginning of the books. And uh, so let's go into that. But before that, let's take a little break. Okay, we're back from the break. If you haven't become a patron of the podcast, do so by going to patreon.com. That's patreon.com. Become a patron of the podcast and get ep- get access to hundreds of premium episodes in which we do various different deep dives. Also know that a portion of your pledge goes towards various charities that we support. If we reach our next, our next goal, we will start donating to petfinder.com, which saves animals from being euthanized and connects them with homes that, that want them. My cats are from petfinder.com. And uh, I just love petfinder.com. <laughs> I love petfinder. All right. So uh, become a patron. Do that. And if we get up to a certain goal, we'll start donating to Petfinder. All right. So the beginning of the books. First book, A Game of Thrones. Uh, Theon is described in a, with various different adjectives, including lean. So he's lean. The guy who plays Alfie Allen is also lean, right? He's described as dark, which is interesting because Alfie Allen is not dark. It's hard to know what, George Martin means by dark, but he's described as dark. He's described as handsome. I would say that Alfie Allen is handsome. He's described as being vain and arrogant. So that's interesting, right? Very vain and arrogant. So annoying in that way. And he has a distinctive uh, quality to him in which he always seems to find everything amusing. He's always smiling at things. In the TV show, they don't really portray it the way that I pictured it in my head as I was reading the books. He, uh, in the books, he's always smiling. He's just, or frequently he's smiling. He's just like, he's, you know, he, it, it, like he's above everything. He's just like, oh boy, here we go again. Oh, you little people and your stupid things. You know, he's always kind of smirking at everything. Like a, it's like, a, I, don't, I think it's described as a cocky smile. Caitlin, for instance, Caitlin Stark, she says, quote, this is in the book. She studied Theon Greyjoy's sly smile, wondering what it meant. That young man had a way of looking as though he knew some secrets. Oh, sorry. (laughs) That young man had a way of looking as though he knew some secret jest that only he was privy to. Caitlin had never liked it. Unquote. So, Caitlin never liked Theon in the way that she never liked Jon Snow for obvious reasons. And Caitlin's looking at this smiling kid and she, he always looks like he has some, something up his sleeve, like an Eddie Haskell or something. 
and uh, she didn't like it. So, so that's how he's described, but he's also described as, as being insecure, uh, which makes sense, right? You know, he, as we've been talking about, he has massive attachment injuries. His, his mother was seemingly a little off. His father, Balon, is definitely not a warm guy. He's probably not raised so well. His brothers beat him as a child. Then his brothers are murdered. He's ripped away from his family. And this often results in insecurity, meaning that he has been given the message that he is not worthy. He's not worthy of love. He's not worthy of attention. He's not worthy of respect. So a common defense against this notion, because when you have that notion running around in your head, that psychodynamic of, I am not worthy of love. I'm not worthy of security. I'm not worthy of respect. No one likes me. No one is thinking of my well-being. Then you need a defense against that because if you if you let that really you know rattle around in your head, then it's terrifying. So you need some mental psychodynamic trick in the form of a, uh, of a defense mechanism in order to protect yourself from constantly having to worry that no one is is there to help you. Well, a common defense against this notion is to create a persona that, uh, you know, this fake person, this fake identity that doesn't really care about love or attention. You know, it's an arrogant persona. It's like, well, you know, I don't care. I don't care about you. You know, a lot of teenagers are this way. Why? Because they're massively insecure human beings. And this protects Theon from further ridicule because he believes that no one will know how scared he is on the inside and how ashamed he is on the inside. And it also protects him from acknowledging to himself how vulnerable he is because he can believe in this fantasy that he's super cool and he doesn't care. But deep down, he cares more than any other person around him. So that's where the arrogance comes from. He's massively insecure deep down because everyone has made him, has treated him in a way that would make him feel very insecure. But he puffs himself up in this very arrogant way as a way of protecting himself from further ridicule and from uh, acknowledging to himself that he is in fact extremely vulnerable to being hurt by other people. We can imagine that this was developed early in life when his brothers were beating him, which uh, again, you have a number of different defenses available to you, one of which is to act like you don't care. So your brothers are beating you or making fun of you or something, and even though it cuts deep, you realize that your older brothers are just going to make it worse if you let on that it cuts deep. And so instead, you just act like, I don't care, you know, I don't care what you say, you know, you can act whatever, you can say whatever you want to. I'm Theon Greyjoy, blah, blah, blah. But deep down, he's extremely hurt. So this is Theon's go-to defense because he's walking around in a constant state of fear and anxiety and insecurity. And so he also walks around with a persona of arrogance. He's also described as wearing a fur-lined cloak, with black silk gloves. This is something you really miss out by watching the TV show because George Martin likes to describe uh, how people dress typically. So, like when you when you read about how Ramsey dressed, you know, you just get these like really descriptive things that the TV show just doesn't uh, show really very much. But anyway, 
So Theon is known to wear a fur-lined cloak, being in the cold north, black silk gloves. So black silk, imagine that, silk gloves. That's interesting, right? It's not leather gloves. It's it's silk, black silk, like satin gloves. <laughs> um, he wears black leather boots. He has a silvery gray lambswool uh, pants. He wears a leather belt, a white leather belt. That's interesting, kind of 80s, white leather. And a black velvet doublet embroidered with the Kraken of House Greyjoy. So the Kraken is, you know, it's a big squid-like thing. He is extremely good with a bow. So Sir Roderick Cassell at Winterfell has taught him how to use a bow really well. And so he's a, he's a crack shot with a, with a bow. And he's also very good on a horse because that's what the gentry learned. They learned the arts of war. He is in that first scene in the books. Um, well, the very first scene is beyond the wall, but the, but the next scene is with Eddard, Rob, and Bran. Uh, I think Cassell is there, and Theon is there with them. Uh, when they find the direwolves, and when they execute Jared for deserting the Night's Watch. Um, also, early on in that first book, and it might happen right away, I'm not sure, but a group of wildlings and a group of night, Night's Watch deserters are kind of roaming around uh, on, you know, the Winterfell side of the wall, and they come upon um, the the Starks, and they're going to attack Bran in the woods, and Theon comes to the rescue. So, so let's kind of break this down because I think it it kind of illuminates a, a family dynamic that will help us understand Theon. So again. As I was saying earlier, Theon is the oldest. He is older than Rob. He's older than Bran. He's older than Jon Snow. Uh, I believe he's older than Jon Snow. Yeah, right? Yeah, maybe. Maybe he's not. Anyway, he's older than Rob. But he is, uh, you know, a crack shot with the bow. And some wildlings and Night's Watch deserters are attacking. And he sees Bran in danger. You know, little Bran. Bran was probably, I don't know, he's probably like eight or nine or something in at this point. And Theon is thinking, here's my chance. Uh, here's my chance to do something good and valiant, and maybe I'll finally get the acceptance that I've been craving so much my entire life. I can save Bran's life, and maybe I'll be really accepted into this family. And so he rushes in, and he shoots the attacker. And... And saves Bran. And he, you know, immediately he's probably just thinking, yes, I nailed it. You know, I've saved Bran's life. Surely Eddard will marry me to Sansa now and I'll be, you know, I'll be loved and secure and everything will be great. But instead of being praised, Rob chastises him. Again, Rob's a younger, younger boy. Rob chastises him, chastises him in front of everybody. Because Rob thinks that that he put Bran in danger by shooting an arrow so close to Rob or to, to Bran. And Rob is like, you could have hit Bran with that arrow. That was too close. But Theon is like, I'm a crack shot with a bow, man. I, I'm not going to hit something I'm not aiming at. But 
and wait a second, I just saved Bran's life. How about a little thanks? But instead, Rob chastises him in front of everyone, just yells at him. So this might be an, uh, uh, a glimpse into Theon's teen years while he was uh, you know, a, a, a hostage at Winterfell, always being treated like a secondary citizen by the Starks. You know, even they talk about even the bastard Jon Snow was treated better than Theon. And Jon Snow was not treated well, particularly by Caitlyn. But Jon Snow was not treated great. And Theon was was treated worse than Jon Snow, which is why Theon particularly hated Jon Snow is because he's like, I am a prince. I'm a lord's son, you know, not a prince technically, but, a, you know, I'm I'm actual not uh, nobility and Jon Snow is a bastard son. Why am I being treated worse than a bastard son? So, so Theon is, you know, he's just never treated like he's really a part of the family. And this furthers his insecurity and his defensive arrogance and his need to have sex with women to prove his manhood and all that kind of stuff. So moving forward in the story, when Eddard is executed by Joffrey and... Rob is now Lord of Winterfell and decides to call the Bannermen and march south to war. Theon becomes Rob's trusted companion in battle. Rob uh, doesn't really have anyone else in his family now. There's no other men that are related to him that he can really trust. I mean, the next, the next son is Bran, and Bran's too young, and Rickon is, you know woefully too young. Jon Snow, he can kind of trust, but uh, by now Jon Snow has gone to the wall, I believe. And so Rob really looks to Theon as, as a trusted brother in, in arms. And uh, during the battle in which Jamie gets captured, remember when Jamie Lannister gets captured, Theon boasts to everyone that he almost fought Jamie in battle, whether or not he would have actually fought well with Jamie is probably, uh, we'll never know. I'm, I'm guessing he would have been instantly killed by Jamie uh, in hand-to-hand sword combat. But but Theon actually, you know, he he rode into battle and, and almost went toe-to-toe with Jamie. So, you know, Theon was a legit, a legit fighter at this point, you know, and he was a legit um, trusted companion for, for Rob. And Theon is always the the warmonger advisor. He's always telling Rob to be more ruthless. Theon is like, "Look, if you're going to rule, you're going to have to you're going to have to do some nasty things." He, you know, he Theon's like, um, "Okay, now that we've captured Jamie, I think you should just execute him because uh, Joffrey killed." Just, you know, they killed your father. And so this will begin the revenge and it'll tell your enemies that you're serious. So let's kill Jamie. Uh, They, of course, don't do that. And then Caitlin lets Jamie go um, on the, uh, you know, the trade that Jamie will uh, bring the daughters back to her, which never happens, Um, you know, because of uh, Brienne. But anyway, (laughs) I think I messed up that entire sentence, but I hope you know what I mean. Anyway, so Theon also tells Rob that he should assault the twins, the phrase, and just, you know, 
uh, just take it over by force. Rob uh, says, you know, he's always telling Theon, oh, I think I need to rule the way Eddard ruled, which was honorable, you know, not ruthless. Rob eventually becomes king of the north, and Rob is thinking, okay, well, what if we had a navy on our side? What if the Iron Islands were on our side? So Rob sends Theon, and, and Rob is saying, hey, Theon's my bud, and he's uh, the son, the, the heir to the throne in the Iron Islands. I'm going to send my bud Theon back home to the Iron Islands to forge an alliance between the Greyjoys and the Starks. And then we'll have this awesome two-pronged attack in terms of the the Northmen and their armies and the cavalry. And then we have by sea with these with this, you know, huge navy. This this is gonna be this is gonna be awesome. So Rob's like, Theon, go home and, you know, forge an alliance between us and the Greyjoys. And and Theon's like, absolutely. I'm gonna do that for Rob. This is gonna be awesome. This is gonna be glorious. Two houses is one, and and I get to go home. I get to go home where I'm not some sort of reject prisoner of this of a family. I get I get to go home and become, you know, the 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 heir to the throne. And surely, when I return home, everyone's going to receive me as finally the son is back. And uh, Theon goes home. And every, no one treats him well. He's just, you know, he's just like, how come no one's respecting me? No one respects him. Because the Iron Islands have a completely different version of how you earn respect. You, you, you don't get it by, they have a much less of a hierarchy in terms of who earns respect, right? You earn respect through your actions, not through your titles. So Theon goes home and he asks his father, Balon, to join Rob in attacking the Lannisters and um, Theon asks his father, he says, you know, Hey, Balon, you know, let, let me lead the iron fleet against, against the Lannisters. And when we take Casterly rock from house Lannister, I would like to be Lord of Casterly rock, you know, and I will, you know, da, 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 da. Imagine that, right? The story would have been so much different if Balon would have gone along with this, which would have been a pretty good plan. I mean, because at this point, the uh, this is before the Red Wedding and all that kind of stuff. At this point, um, Rob Stark is looking pretty good. Well, the Lannisters are looking pretty good too. But, the you know, the Lannisters, they got Stannis coming from the south and, you know, Rob from the north. And imagine if the Greyjoys had... And the and the navy had joined up with with the Starks. It just would have been, you know, it just would have been pretty great. Um, but of course, uh, that's not what Balon decided to do because Balon is a fucking asshole, and of course, didn't listen to his son. But that's what happens, you know, when you hold on to a three hundred year old grudge, right? Like the confederate flag people in the south if i lived in the south i'm i'm guessing i would have a different kind of view on that or something if i had if i had ancestors who fought on the confederate side of the war in the civil war in the united states 
So, you know, me living in Seattle, I just have no sympathy for that kind of way of thinking, particularly when the Confederacy was at least in part trying to uphold slavery of human beings. I mean, I don't understand how any human can hold on to that as a point of pride. Uh, you know, uh, my ancestors fought to systematically enslave a, a, a race you know, an ethnicity of people, <laughs> you know, like I, I just, I can't imagine how that could be something you would hold on to. It's just, it just shows you how motivated reasoning, you know, it can be so strong because, you know, people in the South have just as much empathy for human beings as anybody else. So how could they think that way? Right. Well, because you, you really want to, mo you know, you have this internal need to have pride because your your narrative is such that if the South is cool, then I'm cool. And if the South is a bad place, you know, with a bad history, then I'm a bad person. Uh, but, you know, it doesn't have to be that way. You can, all of us, all Americans are guilty of our American history. I mean, we're all guilty of, of the slavery issue, not just the South, the entire United States is, I mean, so we can all share in that shame. Uh, the Confederate, the Confederacy was just the last group that um, was really holding on to that particular form of racism. And again, it's not even racism is still alive and strong, you know, across the United States. Um, why in the world am I talking about this right now? I'm talking about it because Balon Greyjoy <laughs> was holding on to this 300-year-old grudge. And that's why he did not join up with Rob Stark. And that is why, uh, and if only he had, if only Balon had listened to Theon and joined up with Rob Stark, this whole story would have played out differently and everyone would have won. But of course, the books would not have been as interesting, right? All right, let's take a break before I go on another random jag. And um, when I get back, we'll continue with the story and the analysis of Theon Greyjoy. Okay, we're back from the break. Again, if you haven't become a patron of the podcast, do so by going to patreon.com. That's patreon.com. Become a patron of the podcast. That is the single best thing you can do to make us feel like we're loved here at Psychology in Seattle. Okay, so we left off with... Uh, Balon and Theon having a conversation. Theon is like, come on, join Rob, and we can rule the world. And Balon is looking Theon up and down. He hasn't seen Theon in nine years. And uh, Balon says to uh, Theon, Balon, this is from the books, uh, he says, my daughter has taken an axe for a lover. I will not have my son bedeck himself like a whore. It is as I feared. The Greenlands have made you soft, and the Starks have made you theirs. And Theon says, You're wrong. Ned Stark was my jailer, but my blood is still salt and iron. So this is a great little exchange here. He's, I love the, so this is the genius of George Martin because they're talking in a cultural code, but you understand it, right? He says, the green lands have made you soft. So just that little line there, it's such a, it, it's a, 
uh, another a, a a a less good <laughs> author <laughs> would write something like um you know the starks have made you soft but instead he says the green lands have made you soft because it 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 gives you so much context in that because the iron islands there's no there's i don't think there's anything green on these islands and that's how they see because uh, Winterfell, you wouldn't call it the green lands because it's, it's mostly tundra, right? It's cold, cold lands, but to them, it's the green lands. And he's just like, you know, the iron islands are where tough you, you know, you, you become tough by living on the iron islands and the green lands have made you soft and the Starks have made you theirs. And Theon says, no, Ned Stark was my jailer but my blood is still salt and iron. So Theon's giving it his best shot, but Balon is not having it because he's looking at Theon and going, you know, you're a soft boy. And just as I worried, the Starks have made you into a Stark and you're no longer a Greyjoy. Balon rejects Rob's offer of allegiance. Balon tells Theon that he's actually going to invade the north so not only so balon's like theon my son not only am i not going to join rob but i'm actually going to attack him while he is weak in the north while rob and his bannermen are off fighting in this you know further south i'm going to attack the north because i'm still pissed off about this you know 300 year old grudge and theon is now in this weird position he's like so I was basically Rob's brother in arms. I come here to, you know, join our families together. And now not only is my fa- my father not joining, but he's going to attack Rob. So, but surely I wouldn't go back to Rob because I'm a, I'm a, I'm a great, I'm a great joy. Uh, I'm, I'm heir to the, to the throne in, in the iron islands. And, so now I have to join a, a force that is going to start attacking the lands that I used to live. It's this crazy position. And Theon is given a minor position in the military. He's not even given a ruling position. He's captain of the sea bitch. That's that one tiny little boat, the sea bitch. Theon meets his sister, Asha. In the TV show, her name is Yara. Because there is a previous character, Osha, the wildling Osha. And so they didn't want to confuse Asha with Osha. So they named, they changed Asha's name to Yara. But Theon doesn't recognize Asha because, you know, they're both a lot older now. But Asha knows that Theon is Theon because he introduces himself as Theon. But Asha doesn't introduce herself fully at first. And they start to flirt with each other, just like they did in the TV show. And Asha later reveals herself as his sister. And she, you know, says, she basically indicates that he was only flirting with him to make fun of him. Asha uh, says, this is a conversation between Asha and Theon at this time. Asha says, 10 years a wolf, and you land here and think to... and and think to prince about the islands. <laughs> Again, this this cultural way of talking, I just love it. You land here and think to prince about the islands. 
but you know nothing and no one. Why should men fight and die for you? Theon says, I am their lawful prince. Asha replies, but the laws of the Greenlands you might be. Oh, sorry. By the laws of the Greenlands you might be. But we make our own laws here, or have you forgotten? So here we see that Theon doesn't really understand his homeland because in the in the Greenlands, in Winterfell, if you're the lawful prince, then people have to respect you. But in the Iron Islands, you that doesn't mean anything. You have to earn people's respect. And, and you, they make their own laws. They're extremely independently minded, which makes it much harder for them to deal with the fact that they have to bend the knee to the king and King's Landing. Also, uh, just dipping into the TV show here a little bit because the TV show sort of dramatizes um, the confrontation between Theon and his father. Uh, he says, um, he says, you act as if, so this is Theon yelling at his father. So Theon's yelling at, at Balon. You act as if I volunteered to go. You gave me away, if you remember. The day you bent the knee to, 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 the day you bent the knee to Robert Baratheon, after he crushed you, did, did you take what, you, what was yours then? So, you know, uh, Balon is like, you know, we take what we want. We don't, you know, blah, blah, blah. And Theon's like, uh, so just to remind you, when, Bail- when Robert Baratheon crushed you, did you take what you want then? No. In fact, he took your son from you. And Balon slaps Theon in the TV show at this point. And Theon continues, you gave me away, your boy, your last boy. You gave me away like I was some dog you didn't want anymore. And now you curse me because I've come home. So we see here Theon's inner struggle coming out in terms of feeling rejected by his father, which I guess I hadn't thought about till till just hearing this line is not only would Theon as a 10 year old feel terrified that the enemy has kidnapped him and take and taken him for a, a hostage and a prisoner, but children, even when their parents are well-meaning children will often take this as meaning that their parents didn't want them. Right. It's um, so even if Balon resisted as best as he could, uh, Theon being taken away from him, uh, Theon could have definitely felt as though Balon just didn't care, especially if Balon was a little uh, standoffish to begin with as a parent. And so that's a further uh, injury to Theon's attachment is like, well, you know, my, my family just, just threw me away. You know, they didn't, they just gave me away like, like a dog. It just didn't matter to them. When I talk with kids in my practice, I'm continually reminded about how children do not understand how the world works because they're kids, you know, they're young. I'll, I'll never forget this one time I was talking to this, to this kid. He was, you know, he's eight or eight or nine years old. And this was a couple years after his parents had, had divorced. And I was asking him how he felt about the divorce and all this kind of stuff. And he, and he looked at me straight in the eye and he said, well, 
you know, the reason why my parents divorced is because it's my fault. It's, it's all, you know, it's my fault. And I was like, Oh, what do you mean? Why, how is it your fault? And he, he said, well, this one day, my dad asked me to mow the lawn and, or do some chore, some big chore. It wasn't a little chore, it was a big chore, like mowing the lawn. He said, my dad told me to mow the lawn today. And I told him that I would do it later and I put it off and I put it off and I didn't do it. And then later that night, my dad came downstairs and told all of us that he was moving out and that our parents were getting a divorce. And it's all because I didn't mow the lawn that day. And doesn't that just break your heart? It just breaks your heart to think that a child would blame themselves for something like that. Because kids don't understand how marital relationships work, or at least they shouldn't understand how marital relationships work. And they don't necessarily see all the subtle conflict that's happening. And so in his world, he was looking for a reason as to why something happened. And he's like, well, when I'm a bad boy, bad things happen. And I was a bad boy that day. And my dad, you know, the world punished me because uh, by having my dad move out and having my parents divorced, which was like this this really terrible thing. And so Dion could absolutely, at the age of 10, thought, I'm a bad person, I'm unworthy, I'm unlovable, and that's why my dad sent me away. When in fact, Balon might have had no choice. I, I'm guessing that's the, the case, is that Eddard forced Balon to give his child over. So uh, Dion, in the TV show anyway, uh, reveals that he felt really rejected by uh, Theon being sent away. Okay. So Balon says, not only am I not going to join Rob, but I'm actually going to attack. And Theon, you're going to be a minor player in this because I don't respect you. And so Theon is given the captain of the sea bitch. And Theon uh, engages in the war against the North and he raids several villages in the books. They don't depict this in the, in the TV show because in the TV show, they're trying to make Theon likable. And if you, if you read the books, Theon is uh, as many people are in the books, just way more terrible in the, in the books than they are in the TV show. If you can imagine that. But anyway, so Theon at this point is is going full. He's going full Ironborn at this point. His, uh, but his men don't respect him because he hasn't earned their respect, and he has difficulty controlling them. And to gain the respect of his men, to show he's you know he's trying to show his men that he's a tough guy. He is advised to drown a bunch of captives. So people are like, hey, if you want to earn the respect of your men, you should probably take all these captives. The And the captives are just these village, you know, peasant people. And he's like, okay, yeah, I'll drown these people. So he drowns them all and uh, is completely ruthless in this way. Which I just want to pause and say that this is more trauma for him. Not only has he experienced a lot of really difficult traumatic situations in his life, but when you are responsible for killing people or just when you witness people dying, it's a, it's a trauma to the brain, not for everybody, but, but for many people and for many situations, many situations, like for instance, I've accidentally seen videos on live leak, live leak. Is that what's, you know, the, the other YouTube 
I've accidentally seen videos of, of people dying, people getting shot and this sort of thing. You know, I'll click on a link and I'll, I'll think like, I'm just curious and I'll be like, Oh, I wonder what I'm going to see. And then I see just this horrible, horrible video. And it's happened a handful of times. Every single one of those times have been burnt into my brain. Like the way images used to get burnt into an old CRT screen back in the old computer days. Those, our brains are designed to take notice of those kinds of things. And so when we kill people or when we witness death, it also gets burnt into our brain, even though we're not the ones that are threatened. But the, the notion that human beings can be arbitrarily killed by people is an indirect threat to us, even when we're the ones who are doing the violence. And so we will absolutely be traumatized by this. So for Theon, when he's raiding these villages and raping and killing all these people, it's, it's, not doing good things for his, for his brain. And this doesn't make him soft. This, this is normal for everyone. The the one thing that they, I wish that they would depict better in TV and movies, which I suppose would make it kind of boring, but the, uh, most movies, most TV shows, when people are killed, no one really reacts to it, especially if they're, if they're just sort of like extras that are being killed. But the way real people react to that is is very different take it from me when when we see even a random person even someone that we don't like even if it's the enemy you know you're in world war ii and you're a british soldier soldier and and you kill a nazi well the nazis are the enemy but you can absolutely be traumatized by killing that nazi as a british soldier even though they're on the other side so that's something that they just don't show enough of because um, it, it, it's a real thing it, and it's very common. And a lot of the, you know, the war stories that people talk about, you know, I think we're sympathetic or culturally we understand that if you see like your brother in arms being killed right before your eyes, we understand that that's traumatic. But another traumatic thing is when you pull a trigger and blow someone's head off, that's, that's a traumatic thing to happen to you and that gets burnt into your brain and it, and it is not, it's not a healthy thing to have that burnt into your brain. So this is a major turning point in Theon's development in terms of his character and in terms of his maturity. He's really stuck between a rock and a hard place. Does he, does he choose at this point to be loyal to Rob and turn against his family and run from his family and run to rob does he does he choose to be um you know disloyal to his father and and basically renounce his house he's heir to to house uh Greyjoy. he's you know that's a big deal does and if he if he goes to rob then he's basically throwing all that away and he'll always be a second great citizen to the Starks if he runs to the Starks or he can be loyal to the, to his family, to the Greyjoys and secure his, or try to secure his seat as the heir to, to the Greyjoy house. But by doing this, he has to completely betray the Starks, the honorable Eddard, the honorable Rob Stark. And 
if he does this, then he might gain approval from his family, but he might not. So this is, you know, this is a this is an impossible choice to make. He's damned if he does, damned if he doesn't. In the TV show, there's this conversation about this between Theon and Master Lewin. When Theon invades Winterfell, there's this conversation. Lewin says, Lord Stark went out of his way to make it your home. So Maester Lewin is like, uh, Eddard went out of his way to make you feel welcome in his home. And Theon says, Yes, I know my captors were so very kind to me. You love reminding me of that. Everybody in this frozen pile of shit has loved, has loved to remind me of that. You know what it's like to be told how lucky you are that you are someone's prisoner? To be told how much you owe them? And then to go back home to your real father? Blah, blah. So we see that Theon, you know, he's, he's, he's a very conflicted man. All right. Well, we all know that Theon decides to be loyal to his family. And he invades Winterfell. Even though his father said to not invade Winterfell, he disobeyed his father, presumably to impress his father that he could, you know, take the seat of power in the north. And also presumably to get some sort of revenge for being held captive and being made to feel like a second-rate citizen. So he he invades uh, Winterfell. Theon captures Winterfell because everyone's fighting in the south. Theon takes Bran and Rickon hostage and declares himself Prince of Winterfell. And he starts acting like a dick because he's always been a dick. And two, he's trying to impress his men so he can gain power in his house. You know, he's learned, oh boy, in order, I can't just say that I'm heir to house Greyjoy and get respect. I have to actually be ruthless in order to get respect. So he starts being a jerk to a lot of different people and killing a lot of people. He free, he meets this guy named Reek in the castle's dungeon and takes him into a service. So, you know, Theon takes over Winterfell and he goes into the dungeon and there's this, there's this guy in there named Reek and any enemy of your enemy is your, is your ally. Right. So he's like, well, anyone in the, Anyone who is being imprisoned by the Starks must be a friend of mine. And who's this Reek character? Well, he's probably a good guy. Well, this is actually Ramsay Snow. So we have to back up here a, a, a little bit here. So recently, before Theon invaded Winterfell, Sir Roderick Cassell, the master of arms at Winterfell, he went to go find Ramsay because Ramsay was... Uh, his his reputation was well known, and there were lots of accounts of of Ramsay committing all these really terrible crimes. So this is before Ramsay has any power, and he's just Roose Bolton's bastard son. And Ramsay is running around the north, killing and raping and doing all this, these terribly sadistic things. And so Sir Roderick Cassell rides off to find Ramsay. Roderick's party comes across Ramsay shortly after after Ramsay had raped and killed a peasant girl. So uh, Ramsay just randomly finds this peasant girl. He uh, rapes her and then kills her. And then uh, uh, in the books, 
this is uh, in the books. Uh, Ramsey has ha- has this servant boy named Reek. So Reek was an actual person in the books, and Ramsey had this had this servant boy named Reek, and he reeked. His real name was Heek, but everyone called him Reek because he reeked so bad. And so uh, Ramsey had this had this uh, you know servant boy named Reek. And Reek was also a sadistic, terrible person too. And Ramsey and Reek did all these terrible things. Well, after Ramsey raped and killed this girl, Reek was raping the dead body of this girl. So, trigger alert. Um, when Ramsey spots Sir Roderick's men approaching, Ramsey realizes that both of them are not going to be able to escape. So, Ramsey, in an attempt to hide his true identity, he pulls Reek off the dead body and gives Reek um, his clothes. So he, Ramsey says to Reek, let's switch clothes. And, you know, let's switch all of our clothes. And Reek's like, oh, okay. And Ramsey tells Reek to ride off. And Reek uh, has learned over the years not to question Ramsey because Ramsey is even more of a sadistic, terrible person than Reek is. So Reek puts on Ramsey clo- Ramsey's clothes and rides off. And as Ramsey expected, Sir Roderick's men uh, chase down Reek. They think Reek is Ramsey, and they kill him. The, the dead girl, so spoiler alert here, the dead girl had soiled herself before she died. So uh, while Reek is being killed by Roderick and, and those guys, Ramsey dresses up as Reek and smears her her poo on himself to make him seem like he's Reek and not Ramsey. And when Roderick's men come back, they think Ramsey is Reek and they make him a prisoner at Winterfell. Roderick wants to kill Reek, but Roderick needed Reek to be alive as a witness to Ramsey's crimes. Because when, when Roose Bolton hears that Ramsey was killed, they need a witness to say, look, we killed Ramsey. We, you know, Roos, we killed your son because he was doing all these terrible things. And we have this witness here to, to tell us that. Well, that's why he, they kept Reek alive. They didn't realize that Reek was actually Ramsey. So when Theon Greyjoy takes Winterfell, his men find Ramsey in the, um, in the dungeons and they, and Ramsey is posing as Reek. And, um, Theon releases Ramsey in exchange for a vow of service to Theon. So he's like, I'll release, you know, Theon says, I'll release you from the dungeons only if you serve me, Theon. And, and Reek says, yes, yes, I will serve you. And Reek slash Ramsey quickly becomes one of Theon's more trusted attendants. He helps Theon hunt the escaped Bran and Rickon Stark uh, back to Winterfell. He helps Theon cover up the fact that the Stark boys escaped by killing two peasant boys who were similar in age to the Stark boys. And then Theon flayed the corpses to avoid recognition. Um, So no one would know that the Stark boys got away because Theon is terrified that people will learn that he can't hold on to these two boys and then none of his men will respect him. So he, you know, Reek slash Ramsey helps him cover that up. Theon then approves Ramsey slash Reek killing three of Theon's men who knew the truth about the bodies. So uh, three of Theon's men had to be killed to cover up the cover up. Theon 
then uses the Winterfell Kennel Master as a scapegoat and has him executed for the murders of Theon's men. Theon contemplates killing Reek slash Ramsay, but he fears that Reek slash Ramsay has written and hidden an account of the truth. So about, uh, you know, the Stark boys, so he doesn't kill him yet. So in this instance, we, we see Theon is, you know, going full asshole at this point. <laughs> you know, he's just, he's, I suspect he's desperately trying to be as ruthless as he can to gain the respect of his, of his men. And we can see that it's hard to like Theon at this point. He's, he's, he's nearly as bad as Ramsay, really. I mean, no one is nearly as bad as Ramsay, but, you know, Theon's given it his best shot. So Theon is in charge of Winterfell, but soon the Stark men, the Northmen, the good guys, they start marching toward Winterfell to take it back from Theon and his men. And Theon reaches out to his sister, Asha, for help. And she arrives at Winterfell, and she tells Theon that the Ironborn will never succeed in holding a landlocked castle like Winterfell. She's like, you know, we're people of the sea. We don't, we don't sit in castles and defend them. You know, we're people of the sea. And if this castle was on the sea, we might be able to defend it with our navy. But, but we're not. And so I don't know why you even did this because there's really no point. And so Asha leaves Theon in Winterfell. And Asha says, Theon, you know, uh, you, you're an idiot for invading Winterfell. I understand you're trying to impress everyone, but it's not impressive because you clearly don't understand our ways. So let's put this to rest and come with me. And Theon becomes enraged. He finally achieved something worthy and no one is congratulating him. He considers it to be this, you know, humongous achievement. And, you know, it sort of is to take Winterfell, right? And nobody is appreciating how big of a deal this is. And Asha leaves and Theon stays because he's prideful and he wants to uh, prove himself somehow. He should have just gone with Asha, but he didn't. And instead he stays in Winterfell and he's thinking, you know, maybe there's a way I can pull this out. Well, I need reinforcements. So Reek slash Ramsey says, I'll go get reinforcements for you. And so Theon sends Reek out to get reinforcements. Ramsey is allowed to leave Winterfell and Ramsey's like, ha ha, I'm free once again. Now, something that's not portrayed in the TV show is that not only was Theon much more of a dick, but he also had, you know, as I was saying earlier, like a, a very Ramsey, you know, dark streak to him. For example, during this time, Theon is really, you know, starting to head downhill. He's just like, crap, I'm in Winterfell. Uh, I'm sort of sort of digging myself in here. My family has turned on me. I don't have that many men. My men don't even really respect me. Uh, the good guys are coming. Uh, you know, I'm dead. And Theon's getting very stressed out. And so he, uh, he, he uh, brutally rapes a tavern girl. He, you know, he gets this tavern girl and he sends for her and he's like, bring that tavern wench to my bed as a, as a bed warmer. And then one night he's really stressed out and he, he brutally rapes her just for no reason. I mean, there's really no reason to rape anybody, but you know, um, 
and they describe it. And in the end, this, this girl, she's, she's sobbing and crying and her, and her neck and her breasts are covered with bruises and bite marks. So imagine that. And instead of feeling bad about it, he, he shoves her from the bed and tells her to get out. So for those of you that just watched the TV show, you're like, oh, Theon is this, you know, he's a good kid. He's just, you know, a little misguided. Well, George Martin writes this scene in the in the book, and we see that, that Theon is, you know, he's just a he's just a smaller version of Ramsey. He's a terrible, terrible human being. And um so the TV version of Theon is, you know, at least somewhat likable. <laughs> the book version of Theon, I don't know. So as Theon is freaking out about being killed by the good guys, Master Lewin, who's still alive at this point, he convinces Theon to join the Night's Watch. And Reek returns. Ramsay reveals himself. And uh, by the way, you know, so, so at this point, Theon is, is seriously contemplating joining the Night's Watch. He's like, maybe that's my way out. Because that's the thing, you know, if you know the story about the Night's Watch, you know that you can join the, you can take the black and all of your previous sins are basically forgiven. But you have to always be at the Night's Watch for the rest of your days. You can never have a wife and you're stuck in the cold. So it's sort of like, you know, the society needs a group of men to man the wall, but no one wants to do it. And so... The only people who who go there are people who are kind of running away from something, and so uh, Theon is is you know considering that, but he's also like, well, Jon Snow's up there, and you know Jon Snow's going to kill me because um, he thinks that I killed his brothers and I you know killed all these people at Winterfell and so blah blah. Anyway, but Reek returns. Ramsay reveals himself. Ramsay tricks the good guys, the Stark bannermen, and slaughters them. Uh, as Theon attempts to thank Reek, Reek reveals himself as Ramsay Snow and says, um, I'm not Reek, I'm Ramsay, and I'm here. I'm not here to help you. I'm here to uh, win the day and to take over Winterfell. And Ramsay hits Theon in the face and shatters his cheekbone. And Ramsay orders his men to set Winterfell, Winterfell ablaze. So... When Theon took Winterfell, he just wanted to take it over. But when Ramsay took it over, he wanted to burn it to the ground. Um, and so Ramsay sets off to, uh, he doesn't burn it to the ground, but, you know, he catches a lot of things on fire and he starts slaughtering all these people, including Maester Lewin, I believe. Theon's father, Balon, falls to his death in Pike. Uh, skipping forward in the story, the Red Wedding happens, Rob dies. Theon thought after he found out about the Red Wedding, he, he thought, I should have been there with him. Where was I? I should have died with him, meaning that Theon thought he should have died with Rob. I, thought, I find this to be, you know, a real sweet kind of moment for Theon. He's just like, you know, my poor brother Rob, the, the good boy Rob, gets slaughtered by the Boltons and the Freys. And... I, you know, I should have been there with him. I should have been, I should have died with him. That would have been a good way to go, I think is what Theon thought, especially 
as he is being tortured by Ramsey. All right, well, let's take a break and we get back. Let's start to go into the downfall of Theon. Okay, we're back. So this this begins the horrible chapter of Theon's life. But before we get into that, um, we should also mention that in the in the books, Euron Greyjoy, Theon's uncle, he claims the Sea Stone Chair after Balon dies. The Sea Stone Chair—that's the throne of of the Iron Islands. Some lord, some one of the Ironborn, says that. Theon is the rightful heir to the throne, and Euron says, fuck that shit, and he drowns the guy for saying this. A king's boot is called to see who will be the king of Pike, and Euron has decided he'll be the the king of Pike. This is kind of jumbled up in the TV show. Theon isn't actually there in the the books the way that he is in the... um, in the TV show. Asha comes back to Winterfell to find Theon, but she can't find him. And she can't tell if he's dead because there are many dead bodies. You know, a lot of bodies are burnt and eaten by the wolves after Ramsey, you know, went through there. But, um, so at this point in the books, we actually don't, um, have, we don't hear a lot from Theon after Theon, gets captured by Ramsay. Theon kind of disappears from the books for a while. But we later learn in the books that Ramsay has been torturing Theon this entire time. And it's ongoing, terrible torture. Ramsay and his bastards boys, this is something they don't have in the TV show. He had, he had this group because Ramsay was a bastard, right? Ramsay had this group, this group of boys called bastards boys that he, you know, used as um, his own personal kind of SS troops or something. And Ramsey and the Bastard Boys, they tortured Theon over and over again. Uh, one of the things they did to Theon is they removed the skin on Theon's toes and fingers. They don't show this in the TV show. They removed the skin on his toes and fingers. And from what I understand, this is an incredibly painful uh, situation. And so after a while, you know, days of this, Theon begs Ramsay to cut off his fingers and his toes to stop the pain. And they, you know, wait a few days and they say, oh, okay, let's cut off his fingers and his toes. So he also hates Theon's smile. So remember how Theon has that smirk that everyone notices? Well, Ramsay really, really hates Theon's smile. So he decides he's going to... Uh, you know, break his teeth out of his mouth. So he he pulls or breaks or, you know, maims his face so that a lot of his teeth come out. And it's also implied that Ramsey cuts off his penis. Ramsey makes Theon change his name to Reek. Theon is forbidden to bathe. And Theon is, you know, spread with filth and he's just super gross. And in the book, they talk about how Theon looks like he's aged 40 years. He looks like a 60-year-old man. He doesn't have much of his teeth teeth left, and the teeth he does have left are all kind of loose and raggedy. Theon has lost a lot of weight, like a third of his weight or something. 
and he was already lean to begin with, but he looks like really bony now. His hair has turned white, which is interesting. He has white hair in the books. He only has a few of his fingers and a few of his toes, and he hobbles when he walks. They, you know, they really don't show this in the TV show because basically in the TV show, um, he, he looks exactly the same after tortured uh, as before. But in the books, he is a, he's a broken man inside and outside. Uh, he, he just, like his sister doesn't even recognize him later on. And I think this is a more powerful uh, point that's being made in the books, you know? Um, anyway, in the TV show, also, we see a lot of scenes in which Theon is being tortured, but in the books, Theon does not appear at all in the third and fourth novels as a narrator, and he's barely mentioned by other people. Theon's torture by Ramsay is revealed in a series of flashbacks throughout the fifth novel. So, as I was saying, as soon as, as, soon as Theon is captured by Ramsay, we, we don't even hear about him for, for two entire novels. And we wonder, is he dead? You know, it's just there's all these question marks. So he shows up in the fifth novel as Reek, and, and um, so so we where we leave. So in the second novel, we leave Theon as he is just you know he's at the top of his game, and then Ramsay thwarts him, and then we don't hear about him for two bucks. And then in the fifth book, we are introduced to this to this Reek character, and. He's this terrible, emaciated, toothless, fingerless, toeless, you know, weirdo. And then it comes out, oh, that's Theon. <laughs> you know, it's just, it's this crazy reveal in book five. You're just like, wait, what has happened to Theon? You're just like, how did we get from where we last saw him to now? And then in the fifth book, they do all these flashbacks to all these, um, torture and all these you know breaking down of his personality into this reek character and you're just like oh i see how we got here Bruce bolton asks ramsey to take moat kaylin back from the ironborn and ramsey cleans up so ramsey's like okay well how am i gonna you know take back moat kaylin how am i gonna do that from the ironborn well what if i trick them because i'm ramsey and i'm super sneaky like that so ramsey cleans up theon and makes him look like a prince again. And Ramsay makes Theon go to the Ironborn and, and Moat Kaelin to convince the Ironborn. This is all depicted in the TV show, too. Uh, so he sends Theon into Moat Kaelin to convince the Ironborn, to convince his people to surrender in exchange for their lives. Ramsay promises food and safe passage to the sick and starving um, if they surrender. And the Ironborn are like, well, we're going to die either way. So we're going to die if we stay because, you know, we're surviving, but not for long. And so the Ironborn are like, okay, fine. Well, well if, Ra- if, our, if our prince Theon is here, then sure, okay, we'll surrender. But then Ramsay, like he always does, he reneges on his promise and he has them all flayed alive. And as a reward, Theon is allowed to sleep with Ramsay's dogs. Theon is there when Ramsay is introduced to Arya Stark. So this is in the book. So this is different. than This is a big difference than the TV show. So Theon 
so this this girl comes to winter or to wherever they're at at this point and these people are like okay this is Arya Stark and and you're and Ramsay you're going to marry Arya Stark and this is going to end the war in the north because you know there there's going to be a Stark um in control with Ramsay but Theon is looking at this girl and he's like that's not Arya that's actually Jane Poole I know I know Jane Poole now in the TV show this is Sansa which is a better storyline in my opinion but anyway so in the book, Jane Poole is disguised as Arya, sort of, and Jane is sent to marry Ramsay to help end the wars in the North. So, you know, if, if the Stark allies think that a Stark girl has married Ramsay, then they might end the war in the North. And presumably Theon is kept alive because he's the one person who can say, yes, that's Arya, because everyone else is dead. And Ramsay's like, well, Theon is my little slave so surely theon will say whatever i want him to say and if i want him to say that jane Poole is aria then he'll do that ramsey uh, cuts off some of theon's skin and sends it to asha ramsey says he'll kill theon if asha doesn't stop attacking the north also there's evidence that theon actually believes he is reek uh not that he is just acting like he's reek there's evidence that theon deep down actually believes he is in fact reek uh, because of the severe torture he went through. There's a quote from the book. Uh, Theon is saying, you know, I'm not, I'm not Theon. He's saying, I'm not him. I'm not the turncloak. He died at Winterfell. My name is reek. It rhymes with freak. <laughs> My name is reek. It rhymes with freak. During the wedding between Ramsay and Jane Poole, who is disguised as Arya, Theon gives away the bride because he's the closest person. He's the, he's the, he's the closest kin to Arya, even though he's not actually kin, but everyone else is dead. So, or presumed dead. So, or not around. So they're just like, well, Theon, you you have to give away the bride. Several times, Jane begs Theon to rescue her, but Theon is too afraid of Ramsay. The night of the wedding, as Ramsay takes Jane Poole to his bedroom, Ramsay makes Theon strip Jane's clothes off. Then Ramsay makes Theon prepare Jane to be raped by Ramsay. So this is this is all depicted in the TV show in this very brutal fashion. But instead of Jane Poole, it's Sansa. Theon admits to someone that he's always wanted to be a Stark, and that uh, he you know didn't want to be a Greyjoy. So this is when a different Theon seems to be emerging somewhat. It's almost like he's being reborn, particularly in the TV show, but, but in the book kind of too. Theon starts praying at the heart tree. He visits the heart tree a number of times in the you know, woods uh, in the north. He says to the heart tree, he says, Please, a sword, that's all I ask. Let me die as Theon, not as Reek, unquote. So he's starting to really identify with the gods in the north, and he's starting to turn to religion to help him get through these difficult times. During one visit to the heart tree, Theon sees Bran's face, presumably because Bran is, you know, one of the tree face people. 
and he hears Bran whispering, Theon. And this helps Theon regain his identity and to move away from the identity of Reek. The Free Folk and Stannis are marching on Winterfell from the north. Remember that whole part of the story? So Stannis joins up with Mance Raider's people and at the wall, and they start marching south to Winterfell. Theon grabs Jane Poole and tries to escape. In the TV show, this is when Theon kills Miranda, who was about to shoot Sansa in the leg, but that's that Miranda isn't a character in the books. The Bolton men see, or I don't think Miranda's a character. Anyway, that didn't happen in the books. When, um, But in the books, the Bolton men see Theon and Jane trying to escape, and the guards try to kill them. Uh, actually, Mance Raider is involved in this. But anyway, Theon picks uh, Jane Poole up, and he jumps off the wall. So in the in the TV show, Sansa and Theon jump off together holding hands. But in the books, uh, you know, Jane doesn't know what to do. And, and Theon just picks her up and jumps off the wall. And Theon and Jane Poole land in the snow and they run to Stannis. When they get to Stannis, they realize that Asha is a prisoner of Stannis because Stannis um, has run into Asha as she has been attacking the North, and Stannis is like, well, we're not going to have that. And so Stannis imprisons Asha. And so Theon and Asha are reunited. And as I said earlier, Asha doesn't even recognize Theon because he looks so old and weird from all the torture he's been through. Um, so, so that's where the books end, actually, which might kind of shock you because if you've been watching the TV show, there's a lot more to the story. But yeah, that's where the books end. Um, Theon is looking like shit. He's looking like a 60 year old emaciated man with no teeth and no fingers or, you know, with only a few fingers, only a few toes. And he's a prisoner of Stannis and he's no, but he's no longer under Ramsey's thumb, you know, which is definitely a good thing. And he actually managed to rescue Jane Poole, which is pretty cool. Now there's a sample chapter from the winds of winter from book six, George Martin released a sample chapter, which might change when the actual book comes out. So this could be just like a rough draft, but, uh, but we did learn a little bit more about Theon's um, story, not much, but a little bit. So again, Theon is a prisoner of Stannis and Stannis questions Theon about Ramsey's army. And Theon answers all of his questions, honestly, because Theon's like, I don't care about Ramsey. I hate that guy. <laughs> and, Stannis plans on executing Theon because Stannis wants to placate the men in the north who want Theon dead because Theon presumably killed Bran and Rickon. But remember, he didn't kill Bran and Rickon. But the people, the men in the north think that. And so the men in the north, north are like, Stannis, if you want us to be on your side, you have to, you have to kill, you have to kill Theon. Theon actually hopes that Stannis will kill him to end his suffering and to end his guilt for betraying the Starks and to end his suffering as a broken man. But Asha pleads with Stannis to spare Theon's life. But Stannis is not really that sort of guy. He's not the sort of guy to give mercy. So when that fails, Asha asks Stannis to not burn him alive and instead just chop his head off, which is a quicker death. 
So that's all we know about Theon from the from the sample chapter. It's not much more, but it seems a little bit more. So in the books, it looks like Theon could be executed by Stannis. But I'm guessing that Martin will spare Theon's life because Martin loves to keep miserable people, miserable people alive so he can put them through more misery. <laughs> um, also, the TV show presumably follows the rough outline of the story. George Martin has told the producers of the TV show, you know, here, here's a rough outline of where all the characters are going to go. And we learn in the TV show that Theon does survive all this. And so it seems likely that Theon will survive. So we'll see. All right. Well, let's talk about the TV show. So all of this could be completely, you know, not what happens in the books. I'm really curious to see what book six is going to be like because because this is the first time that the TV show has come out before, you know, the TV has uh, season, uh, wait, am I saying this right? Yeah, season six of the TV show came out ahead of the books, right? And, it, you know, up until season six of the TV show, all the stuff on the TV show had been already set in the books. And George Martin, ha, you know, has been telling him, look, here's the rough outline. But I think the producers are like, well, you know, we might go your way or we might go our own way. And I, and I think George Martin's like, fine, it's your TV show. Do what you want. <laughs> um, I mean, he's not that cavalier about it, but George Martin isn't being a stickler. He's like, look, you know, it's a TV show. I write the books. You make the TV show. They're related to each other. But anyway, in the TV show, Theon does a lot more stuff. Uh, right after he and Sansa get out of Winterfell, they're running away in the snow. And... Uh, there's this heartbreaking scene. There's this wonderful scene in which Theon and Sansa are hiding under that fallen tree. And it looks like they're about to be hunted down by Ramsay's men and, and the dogs. And Sansa Stark says in the TV show, she says, when, when you take the black, all your crimes are forgiven. So Sansa Sansa's trying to say, hey, you know, join the Night's Watch. And Theon says, I don't want to be forgiven. I can never make amends to your family for the things I've done. So he's, he's like, I don't want to be forgiven for the things I've done. You know, the things I've done to your family, Sansa, can never be forgiven. I, I should never be forgiven for that. Now, again, this is different from the books because Theon is exhibiting actual remorse at this point. Whereas in the books, it's, it's definitely not so much that way. But anyway, this is the moment that um, I, you know, when Theon won my heart, <laughs> when he became someone that I cared about in this show in terms, you know, he's always been an interesting character, but I always, you know, every time he was on screen, I was, I was just like, ah, oh, there's Theon again. But, and even when he was being tortured, I'm just like, well, you know, you're, you deserve it. <laughs> you know, you look at all this stuff you did, you know, you're a terrible human being. I don't care about you. But at this point when he saves Sansa and he's running away and he's protecting her and he's getting her away from the wolves and, and she's like, okay, you know, go, we'll go North to Jon Snow and you can come with me and you'll take the black and all will be forgiven. And Theon's like, I don't want to be forgiven because I've done terrible things. He's finally reached a point that 
you know, he truly empath- empathizes with the people that he's hurt. After all he's been through, after all the torture he's been through, he still doesn't think he's been through enough. When I heard him say that, uh, I wanted everyone to forgive him. <laughs> um, at this point, some of Ramsey's men arrive and Theon tries to sacrifice himself to save Sansa, but it doesn't work. But then Brienne and Pod arrive and they save the day. So I just want to comment a little bit on the psychology of what's going on here. You know, we have Theon who has been abused and really his whole life, particularly in his early life. You know, when he was at the Stark, uh, when he's at Winterfell uh, under Eddard, he was, that was the good years. But as a child, he was abused. And then um, under Ramsay, he was massively abused. When you're abused, you start to believe that you deserve the abuse. And I've seen this a lot. People who are repeatedly abused, they, they, have a, they, have a, they have to make a choice. There's two different options they can choose from. One, they can choose to believe that they are being treated unfairly, which is logical. But this results in them getting angry and trying to break free, which often results in more abuse. So they have another choice, though, too. They can choose to see the abuse as justified. Uh, this this viewpoint makes them just give up so they don't fight back and they accept their fate. But after they are free from the, from the abuse, so oh, I hope this makes sense. You know, you, if you're being repeatedly abused, particularly by your parents or by your older brothers, you can look up and you can say like, okay, uh, this, is, this is unfair. This is not my fault. And when you're coming from that mindset, you fight back. You try to break free. You, you talk back. You try to get allies to help you. Well, if that doesn't work, as in the case of his older brothers and with Ramsey, then um, it doesn't do any good to fight back. It doesn't do any good to think that it's unjust. It's just, it's just a weight on your, ba- on, on your mind that, wait, this is unfair. Or you can adopt a different point of view where you're just like, Yes, all this is fair because I'm a terrible person. And when you when you adopt that point of view, it's not a great point of view, but it's but it can work better for your life because then you just accept the fact that you're going to get beat because you're going to get beat either way. And when you are beat, you act subservient, which actually calms people down. When, you know, Ramsey presumably would beat Theon less when Theon was more subservient, right? And Theon's older brothers might have been the same way, unknown. But the point is, is that when when you truly adopt a perspective on the inside that you deserve to be hurt, and therefore you don't get angry and you don't fight back, then it actually makes your life easier. So you're rewarded for believing that you deserve to be punished. Well, after people that make this choice to to say that they deserve to be punished you know, once they're free from the abuse as an adult, they will often seek abuse from other people um, or they seek out abusive people because deep down they believe that they deserve to be punished for their sins. This is what we call masochism, right? And this is why many people who grow up in abusive families will seek out abusive partners later in life. And it's just heartbreaking. It's just this double, terrible, unfair thing that happens to people. Okay, so again, we're in the TV show here. Sansa and Brienne decide to go to John at Castle Black. 
And since Theon has betrayed the Starks, Theon believes that John will kill him, which is, you know, very possible. So he decides to go a different way, and he goes home to Pike. They have a king's moot, which in the books he wasn't there, but on the TV show Theon is there. Theon nominates Yara, or Asha, to be queen of the Ironborn, which I don't believe happened in the books. But Euron wins the favor of the people, so Theon and Yara flee because they think Euron will kill them, which he probably will. So they go across the narrow sea to Volantis. Yara and all the other Ironborn are having fun in a brothel, and we see Theon just sitting there. Can't you know? He can't have any fun, and he's plagued with guilt and shame. And Yara commands him to drink, and you know, commands him to be a to be a man. So he drinks his entire cup of booze, but he doesn't seem to be enjoying it. Theon, and so at this point, you know, this is all season six stuff. They really, my guess is, is that they know what George Martin's outline is. And with when it comes to Theon and Yara, and, you know, Yara slash Asha, they have to, they, they seemingly just really accelerated Theon's story to kind of get him to a certain point so that season seven can start at a certain point. So Theon and Yara, uh, are suddenly with Daenerys uh, in Marine. So normally, you know, in a in one of George Martin's book, they would have Theon traveling across, you know, this and there would be other adventures and stuff. But you know, suddenly they go from Volantis to Marine, and and Theon and Yara are with meeting with Daenerys, and Tyrion is there, right? And Theon and Yara uh, become allies with Daenerys and Tyrion. And Theon and Yara say that they can get a bunch of ships. So, and then at the very end of season six, we see, we see Theon and I believe Asha is there, not sure, but we at least see Theon is traveling back to Westeros with Daenerys and Tyrion and Varys and, uh, uh, you know, the, um, the, the Iron Fleet, the Dothraki, the Unsullied, Olena Tyrell and her army, Ilaria Sand and the Dorn army, and of course the dragons. And so Theon is a part of the Daenerys crew, which is bringing together a lot of different sorts of people, which is just amazing to see Daenerys finally sailing on, you know, a lot of ironborn ships, but other kinds of ships too, to Westeros. And so this was another kind of, you know, super skipping forward in the story because, um, the whole Varys story was, you know, it's like Varys is um, suddenly back with them. Uh, they've uh, met up with the Tyrells and, and the Dorn people. And so it's pretty amazing. So season seven, which starts in a couple of months, uh, I can't wait for. So that's what I'll say about Theon Greyjoy. What will I say overall, though, here? What's, what's the final word on Theon? Uh, I, I, let's see, let's, let's make some maybe predictions about what will happen to Theon. I think as we go into season seven and eight of the, of the TV show, I think, and, uh, you know, this obviously could be very different from the books, but I think what we're going to see is Theon is not going to play a major role. I, I don't think 
that the way, because, you know, season seven and eight are just going to have like seven episodes each or something like that. And they have a lot of things that they need to work out before they get to the topic of Theon. Do you know? They have they have Daenerys and the dragons and Tyrion and Cersei and Jon Snow. And then you have, you know, the army of the dead and all that kind of stuff. And you have, um, I don't know, you just have a lot of different major characters and major storylines that need to be fleshed out. And I have a feeling like the episodes are, because the last episodes of season six of the TV show, they were more like little movies, you know? And I suspect that season six and or season seven and eight are going to be similar to that. And um, Theon is just going to probably show up barely because moving forward to the story, he doesn't, there's not really a big need for him in the storyline. You know, does he need to face off with anybody? Does he need, you know, Ramsey's already dead, so he can't really get revenge in that way. Sansa took care of that. Um, so I suspect in the TV shows, Theon isn't, because really, where do you go with that character at that point? He's, he's with Daenerys. He doesn't think he is fit to rule. I suppose maybe in the end, Theon will go home and Balon will accept him. Maybe, maybe that'll be in the prologue episodes or something. Theon will return home with Asha or no, sorry, the father's death. Um, uh, yeah, that's probably what will happen. I'll probably, you know, again, this is all just be predicting things and I'm usually wrong about this sort of stuff, but so Euron will join with Cersei probably. And then Euron will be defeated as will Cersei, hopefully. <laughs> and then, um, Theon and Asha will return to the Iron Islands and rule maybe as brother and sister or something. And so that is, uh, my guess Daenerys will, you know, place them in power over there or something. Who knows? Uh, or, you know, it could, it could also, uh, end in a horrific, terrible way. And maybe Euron is king of, of Westeros or something, you know, you just never know what's going to happen in the books. However, I, I imagine George Martin has, uh, ha- is going to flesh out Theon's story. I, I don't, given the way that George Martin is writing, I don't think he's going to be able to wrap up the entire story within the next couple books. So uh, uh, I could, the way, th- the way he's writing, I could absolutely see him having like a whole other, ba- you know, adventures and storylines for, for Asha and for Theon. But, you know, who knows? Um, I guess we'll just have to find out. What can I say about Theon's psychology in summary? I think Theon's character is a an excellent case study in uh, one who is forced to develop defense mechanisms of arrogance, defense mechanisms of false narcissism, defense mechanisms of always trying to prove yourself and being in a social situation in all he's never in a social situation in which he's acceptable as a young child he was the smaller weaker brother as a teenager he was a prisoner and a second-rate citizen and would never be good enough you know he was the son of this 
asshole Balon in, in the Iron Islands. And then under Ramsey, he was, you know, made to feel terrible. And then now he's with Stannis and he's, you know, uh, being punished for his crimes. Maybe his head's going to be lopped off. There, you know, he's just been bouncing around from one thing to another. But the thing we can say is that he could have made different choices. There was a time when, I mean, I th- you know, I, a lot of his choices made sense uh, looking back until he gets home to Pike and he tells his father, look, let's join Rob. And his father's like, nope, I'm not joining Rob. In fact, I'm going to attack Rob. At that point, Theon, you know, quote unquote, has a choice, right? He could have ran back to Rob and said, my father's gone off the rails. I don't know what to do. I'm on your side. Da, da, da. He could have done that. Now, he would have died alongside Rob at the Red Wedding, but he wanted that in the end. He's like, it would have saved me from all this torture from and humiliation from Ramsay. So it's, in, but at the same time, you can totally understand why Theon made that choice. He is the heir to the, you know, to House Greyjoy. And he is a Greyjoy. And he was never made to feel really at home at Winterfell. And so why would he run back to his captors, to his jailers? Why would he do that? So it was a really, really tough choice for Theon. Very, very difficult choice. And then once he chooses that he's going to try to be an ironborn, then he's choosing a life of brutality and of, of taking things from people and of disregarding human life, which he, you know, jumped headfirst in because he wanted to impress his, his family, which led him to attacking Winterfell, which led him to acting like he had killed the Stark boys and which led him to Ramsey and which led him to stand. I mean, you just get the sense like, my God, this guy was just dealt like a really shitty hand. And I, you know, when I talk about him this way, I just feel so bad for the guy. And of course it makes sense that he's arrogant. You know, I think the book version is much more realistic in that um, when you're treated this way, you have personality traits that are kind of persistent over time. And it, you know, because at this point in the TV show, Theon is a is a born again nice guy, right? In the TV show, he he's you know he's talking about I would have I would have died to get Sansa to safety. He's like I I and he's like one of the most chivalrous person people in Game of Thrones at this point at the end of the TV show. But in real life, people don't change that that much. You know if if. If you're an arrogant prick, you'll change a little bit, but you're not going to change drastically in that way. And so the book portrays it much more accurately, which I think is is interesting. It's just an exa- It's just another example of the fact that I can do five. You know, th- I don't know how long this episode is, <laughs> a couple hours. The fact that I can, you know, do five several hours episodes on different characters and their psychology and their development and their choices and how consistent the personalities are and how their personalities make sense given their traumas and their histories is a testament to the genius of George Martin. There's so many things that he does right. Not only does he understand 
humans. Not only does he understand trauma and personality development, but he also writes interestingly. He he you know he has a fully fleshed out world that you get a very good sense for, and he's not a cheesy writer. He he does and he doesn't pull any punches. Every you know everyone can die at any moment, <laughs> and it's just um, yeah. I just uh, it's it's why. It's why the books are so popular and why the TV show is so popular. Well, that does it for that episode of Psychology in Seattle. Again, if you haven't become a patron of the podcast, do so. Go to patreon.com. The more people become patrons, the more time I have to dedicate to this podcast, which means I have more time to do episodes like this. There's so many characters in Game of Thrones I'd like to do. But the the, the preparation for these Game of Thrones episodes takes hours and I mean it, it took me weeks to prepare for this episode it just takes so long you know I have to get the books out look up stuff and it's it's a lot of work but I love it and the more people who are patrons the more I'm able to dedicate time to this because I have to take away from my regular job and the more episodes we can do on Game of Thrones and other characters you know Batman Superman whoever um, I know people are asking to do, they want me to do an episode on Euron Greyjoy and do an episode on Littlefinger and Varys and Jorah. And no one's asked me to do an episode on Daenerys, which I find to be interesting. No one wants, because I think she, her character isn't that compelling. You know, she's just kind of, I don't know. But everyone wants Euron, Littlefinger and Varys. Who else have people been asking about? Maybe that's it. But anyway, Jon Snow, probably people want to hear about him. All right. Well, that does it for that episode of Psychology in Seattle. Thanks for joining me out there. Please take care of yourself because you deserve it. Even if you're Theon, you deserve it. (laughs) 